just take the prayer list, and let me get the golden prayer list with me, and we'll pray, and then we'll go to First Peter chapter one for our Bible study tonight. First of all, in the hospital, it's good to see Fort Winston. Praise God for both Murray Robertson and Paul Greenhead, Miss Libby and Mahari, Rosemary Joy, Sarah Cates, Lee Love, and Joe Lavelle. Thank you so much, For the pastor search committee, we'll pray for them and keep them before the Lord continually. Brad Silver, Casey Eisen, Gary Brown, Chad Hutchinson, Hutchinson, Brittany Goldston, Gail Rice, and Brent Porter. I wonder if someone would pray. For these that I've just mentioned, they're the home we had and the one in the hospital and the pastor search committee. So somebody just uh, stand and pray and pray for that person. Go right here to the end. And I'm sure you do that. Oh, Senior care is Alice Ball, Doug Brassfield, Lars Brassfield, Jamie, Bobby Cates, Rosalie Paul, Helen Edelman, Martha Gregory, Carolyn Johnston, Madola Hudson, Nikki Love, Patricia Nolan, Gloria Sweat, Hazel Spiegel, Milton Skelton, Stevie Thompson, Dan Williams, Esther Ellis, Charlie Williams, Carolyn Burkhead, and Dan Gregory. And then the lead, Gagnon Tangler, Ditto Tangler, Bob Tangler, and the choir Tangler. And then those with cancer, Buddy Smith, Carson Grisham, Chris Bradley and Janet Paul. And one, I'd ask just one more. We will pray for those that see you care and believe in the cancer community. Thank you. Pray for them.
if you open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. I thought since it was Valentine's, I'm going to kind of move away from our gospel study for one week. I want to just talk to you about why do we love what we cannot see on Valentine's Day? Why do we love what, maybe I should say who, we cannot see on Valentine's Day? Here's my, here's my text. We'll be looking at the context in a moment. But here's my text. If you have your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, here's what it says. Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of joy. What a great verse. Peter is talking about loving somebody we have not seen. Peter knew a lot about being questioned about his love for Jesus. You'll remember that in the life of Simon Peter, he was asked two major questions by the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if you can think of what those two questions, major questions were. The first one had to do with his person. The second one had to do with his passion for his death. The first question was this. Peter, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's the first question. It had to do with his person. Peter, who are they? What's the scuttlebutt out there? But what are they saying about me? Peter said, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus turned it on to Peter and said, but Peter, I really want to know, who do you say I am? Remember Peter's answer? He got an A. He passed the test. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he passed the first question. But then later on, after Peter had blown it. You know, Peter had put in mouth disease. He, he often said, spoke before he thought. And he had denied the Lord three times. It's post-resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. And uh, they have that encounter up on the Sea of Galilee where Peter is out fishing and he took the other disciples with him. They looked up on the shore and there's Jesus cooking breakfast. And when they get to the shore... Jesus enters into a dialogue with Simon Peter. In John chapter 21, three times he asked him this question. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? So Peter knew what it was like to be questioned about his love. On this Valentine's night, it might be good if every one of us would ask that question. I believe Jesus is asking for you, Tommy, do you love me? In fact, I think he's asking every believer that same question. The question was not, Tommy, do you love the church? 
I've been pastoring half a century. I've run into a lot of Baptists who love the church, but by the life they live, it's obvious they don't love Jesus. He's not asking me, Tommy, do you love to preach? And I love to preach. He's not asking, do you like to sing in the choir or teach Sunday school, or do you like being a deacon? He's asking you a simple, fundamental question. Do you love me? And later, Peter is writing this epistle to a group of persecuted Christians. And after the first seven verses, he comes to that eighth verse and says, Whom having not seen, you love. Now the question to me that I need to answer out of this text is this. Why should I love somebody I've never seen? And Peter gives us the answer right here in these seven verses. And I'm going to go quick. You listen quick, okay? You've got the outline for you. First of all, I'm going to say that the first reason we need to love him whom we cannot see is because he loved us first. Look at verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Uh, the, the word pilgrim means you're not at home here anymore. <laughs> this, this world is not my home, the old gospel song says. Uh, the, the pilgrims of the dispersion, Nero's persecution had caused them to disperse all over uh, the known uh, country. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, let me just stop right there. Rose and I have had the privilege to be in Cappadocia. And we did one of the most foolish things I've ever done in my life. Now, I'm a little bit claustrophobic. But Cappadocia is art. It's, it's consists of tunnels seven stories below the surface where the Christians worship and live. And there are mile-long tunnels that stretches from Cappadocia out to some of the other places. And in some of those places, I'm six, used to be six three, now I'm six feet up. I'm shrinking. But I'd have to get down. When I, I, when I came out of there, I looked at Rose and said, what have you done? But it just reminded me of the persecution that Christians went through. But, but he's saying here, all of those that are spread out, he says, he calls them the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this is one of the great verses that you might want to just log in the back of your mind when you talk to the cults who deny the Trinity. And there are many of them out there that, that they think we are heretical because we believe in three gods. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God who, expressed, who has expressed himself eternally in three persons. And you see here the Spirit, and we see here the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus, all in that second verse. But the word I want you to see there is the word elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, we could go into some deep water, and I'm not going to do that tonight. But the one thing I want to say about that is this. I love Jesus Christ. 
Because before I ever knew who you were, you loved me. Before I was ever born, you loved me. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Here's another word for that. It's called grace. Grace. I love Jesus because he chose me before I could ever choose him. I didn't even know to choose him. But then he, by his spirit, convicted me and drew me to himself. And I placed my faith in Christ. I repented of my sins, which I'm responsible to do. I'm not a robot. But I'm responsible to repent and put my faith in Jesus. But he stirred my heart. And I'm going to tell you, I love him. Because if he hadn't stirred my heart, I'd be headed to hell. And I want to just remind you, you would be too. And that's enough to love him. I love him because of the grace of God. Because he loves me first. He doesn't love me because he loves me in spite. He doesn't love me because I do this or do that. He doesn't love me because I preach. He doesn't uh, love me because I'm a good person. He loves me because he wants to love me. And he loves you out of grace. There's nothing about you or me that attracts him to us. He loves us. Grace is him giving us what we do not deserve. Well, I'm camping out way too long here. Uh, So let's go to the second one. I, I love him not only because he loved me first. Number two, I love him because he gives us everything we need to please him. Notice in verse two that word sanctification. Sanctification. Now, that's a long theological word, but it's a good word. It's a good word. I want you to remember that word. We are saved in three phases. I am saved from the the penalty standard by justification. I'm saved from the power of sin by sanctification. And I will be saved one day, hallelujah, from the very presence of sin, glorification. So what Peter is saying here is that God has provided for our sanctification. Did you see what he said? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. Here's what that means, church. That means that whatever demand God puts upon my life, he supplies that demand. It means the righteousness which God requires of Tommy Benson is the righteousness which God provides for Tommy Benson. God never asks me or you to do anything He doesn't empower us to do. And so I love Him for that. I, I, I'm so grateful He didn't save me and say, Now, Tommy, you're on your own. <laughs> From here on, it's up to you, my friend. you got to hang in there, work hard. And if you make it to the end, you'll be saved. That, that's not the gospel. That's not good news at all. The good news is that God saves us. And then he gives us his spirit to sanctify us. So I love him, number one, because he loves me first. Number two, because he gives me everything I need to please him. Everything I need to please him. Now, there's a little poem that says, Work and do the law demands, but give him the gift of grace. 
gospel doesn't just tell us what to do. The gospel helps us to do it. Here's the third. We love him because he defeated our worst enemies. Now look at verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's given us a living hope. Now, let me give you a definition of hope. Hope is desire plus expectancy. Biblical hope is the assurance that what God has promised us will come to pass. It is a living hope. Now, why do I love Him? I love Him because He defeated my worst enemy. And my worst enemy is death. Paul said in the New Testament, the last enemy is death. Jesus rose from the dead so that my worst and last enemy has been defeated. Jesus conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. And in conquering the grave, he conquered death. Back up here, I can see you better if I get back here. First 13 times I shared the gospel, I had 13 people surrender to commit their life, repented, and trusted Christ. I've never been, it was like pulling the light through. I've never seen the gospel. In fact, they would be gathered in their house, wait for us to get there, and they would have their neighbors come because they wanted their neighbors there when they got saved. It was the biggest thing I'd ever seen. The Korean church is a crazy and so we were just seeing people say, yes, you know. And uh, so finally, I went to the Korean pastor and I said, let me ask you a question. I said, why did you fly us 10,000 miles over here to pluck ripe fruit? I mean, it's just ready to fall off the land. All we did, we had an English, we had a track that had Korean on one side, English on the other. We didn't know a word of Korean. They didn't know a word of English. But we would read the English side. They would read the Korean side. We'd get to the end and say, is there any reason why you wouldn't like to commit your life to Jesus Christ? No, there's not. We pray together. Thirteen in a row. I said, Pastor, why did you fly us over here? He said, you don't understand. He said, they will listen to the word. Because you, America, defeated 
We love him <laughs> because he put us in his will. <laughs> Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. He says, uh, He's given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away. See that? Inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and faith not away. That means God has put us in His will. He has promised us an inheritance, and that inheritance is heaven. Incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away. In other words, that's a promise from the Lord. That's what we have in store. That is our hope. My dad was a sharecropper. And he kind of always laughed and said he was always on the wrong end of the chair. <laughs> he would milk 30 cows twice a day and then do a little hill farm when I was a kid growing up. Just pick cotton and hold corn and all that kind of stuff. Don't miss it one bit. For $100 a day. I love him, but we should love him because he is in Look at this one. I love this one. This is a good verse for me. I love that one. Verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through the faith of this other I love him because he saved me. It's not eternal if I lose it tomorrow. I give it to them eternal life. They shall never perish. 
Neither shall any man, literally, the Greek says, anything. Neither shall any man, anything, pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, said Jesus, is greater than all. And no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. You see, this is me. Before the devil can get me, that will get Jesus. Look up in our arms. Jesus and the Father are protected. I give them to them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all. And no man can pluck them out of my hand. So I've got a two-fold security. The Father and the Son are protected. So, I can have the assurance, not based on my performance, but based upon the security that I am given to the I have to be Alright, here's the last one. Wrap it up. You get ready to do this. The last one. We ought to love him because he gives us purpose. We just don't have all the time. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, In this, the things that I've just told you, in all of these things, you greatly rejoice. I think so. That's enough to rejoice, right? Heaven, security, sanctification, uh, all of those things are ours. He says, In this, you greatly rejoice. Though, now for a little while, if needed, you have been grieved by various trials. But the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found under praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that comes to the end of the I love him lastly because the suffering, the pain, Situations that I find myself in that I can't explain. When the light at the end of the tunnel turns out to be a great thing that's coming my way. And you know that happens to us. We go through things we don't understand. But I pray that that uh, when I can't understand the Lord, when I, when I can't trace His name, I trust His name. When I can't figure out what God is doing, I can know. Scripture says that God is working all things together for good. Does He say all things are good? We know that. You know that. But He says, behind all of us, I am a sovereign God. And there's a cloud of heaven. Whether you can see it, touch it, or smell it right now, I'm working all things together for good.
Thank you.